We're, um, we're in the book of Acts. <clears throat> I can't seem to get out of this, uh, this section. We're in one, chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. Is, it's a particular portion. And um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get out of it this week either. So it may be. It may be our same passage. I might. I might do. Um, could we do the lapel mic here? No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I think. I think. We'll. We'll see. We'll see what I can do on this particular sermon. But I've added a a, a reading, and what I want to do is I. I want to read. So Acts. One, what should we read? 15 through 26. And then we're going to look at Luke 15. And um, we're going to really, we're going to focus in on, on one particular truth. I'll let you know that in just a moment. But uh, Acts 1, 15. This is the perfect word of our perfect God. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers. Gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brothers, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his intestines gushed out. It became known to all those who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field was called the field of blood. It is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate. Let no one dwell in it. Let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all, the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, Matthias. They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these you have chosen. To occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Well, that's going to be, at least 1 through 20 will be our sermon pass. But back, jump over to, um, what should we look at? Luke 15, please. No, John 15. I'm sorry. John 15. I was at Presbytery and I've been driving and spending long hours. So have mercy upon your poor pastor. Uh, John 15, excuse me. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now, this next verse is it, thematically will be attached to what we're looking at in the book of Acts as we consider Judas. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, and he dries up, 
and they gather them together and they cast them into the fire and they are they're burned. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would have pity upon me, the preacher, that you would revive me, Lord, um, physically and intellectually and renew me spiritually, invigorate me that I might rightly divide the word of truth, both law and gospel, that you would be glorified, your people would be edified, and the impenitent sinner, Lord, would be warned in such that perhaps today they may fly to Christ and find mercy. Help us, Almighty God. May we learn the lessons that you've placed here for our instructions um, concerning Judas. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, back over to the book of Acts. The sermon says the removal and the replacement of the dead branch. What we're going to look at today, since there's really enough here, we're just going to look at the removal part. If God gives me a next week, we'll look at the, um, the replacement part. And probably there, more thematically, that little section 21 through 26 is the representative witness of the church, both the Old Testament, the 12 tribes. We'll look at that business. But it's the business of the church exists to witness of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, preeminently the resurrection of Jesus. So that will be, that will be next week, Lord willing. And so let me make the connection between what we considered last week and what we're going to consider this week as far as the removal of, of Judas, who is a dead branch. And they're related. Last week, we looked at um, um, the restoration of the Apostle Peter. You remember that he fell grievously. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, again in fulfillment of Scripture, told Peter, he told all the guys that, that essentially he was going to die alone. He said, you're all, the shepherd will be struck and the, the sheep will scatter. You're all defect from me. And you remember from the Gospel accounts, the Apostle Peter said, even if they all defect from you, I, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm willing to go to jail. I'm willing to, 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 to die for you. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you'll defect from me. In three times you will swear to God that you don't know me. It was the weakness of his flesh. He grew proud when he should have grown humble. He forgot the nature of the cross. He forgot the nature of the kingdom. He thought the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ was an earthly kingdom. It will one day be in the eternal estate. But he, forget the, he forgot the spiritual business of the kingdom. Many Christians do that. And then he forgot about the devil. He forgot about the devil. Um, he forgot that the devil exists. The devil is powerful. And the devil is a prowling, roaring lion, seeking to devour who he may devour. And he preeminently loves to attack Christians. And preeminently, preeminently, he loves to attack Christian ministers. And God permitted um, Christ, God in the flesh, permitted the devil to sift Peter like wheat. We mentioned last week one of the holy purposes of Jesus Christ permitting the devil to attack um, the Apostle Peter, who is a true believer, who loves Christ, who's with Christ right now. One of the benefits of letting the devil at least ply him in some ways is that it would make the Apostle Peter more cognizant of his own weaknesses. It would make him more aware of his own sin, his own frailties. Make him aware that, hey, you know, I really am in a spiritual, spiritual battle. And then f- for that, it would make him more consciously dependent upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when I, I grew up in Massachusetts, and in the summer, we spent our summers on Cape Cod, and 
on the other, they called it the other side of the Cape, on, on, the, on the side which looked out on Martha's Vineyard and in uh, Martha's Vineyard to the left, um, uh, Martha's Vineyard straight ahead, the, um, Nantuck- Nantucket to the, on the other side of the Cape, when the, the tide would go out, it would go way out and you would be walking in maybe, um, maybe up to your calves max. And the blue crabs would love to, 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 to get under the water there, under the, the, uh, in that particularly that flat area. And I can remember as a little kid, I would love to walk far, far away from my dad as we would walk through this low tide area. And then when the crabs would bite me, I would practically climb on my father's back. I would stay close to him. One of the benefits of being bitten by the devil, so to speak, and especially failing in our sin, it makes us cling to Jesus Christ. Um, it's God's alchemy. It's God's alchemy. He makes something which the devil means for our harm, the unbeliever means for our harm, but God always means for the good of his people. Did Peter fail? It was awful. Did he weep bitter tears? He wept bitter tears. Was he a better Christian at the end of it? Read First Peter chapter 5. He was more humble. Did he preach the kingdom of Jesus is this world? We're making Palestine great again? No. Did he preach, I'm the apostle Peter, look at me, I'm the rock? No. What did he do? He preached Christ. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the one that saves weak and foolish and sinful sinners. And Christ is the one that keeps weak and foolish, saves sinners, saved. There's great benefits, beloved, when we stumble and, and we fail. And the Lord Jesus turns us back around. And the principal truth that we looked at last week is, Jesus Christ is in the saving sinners business, and he is in the business of keeping the sinners that he saved, saved. It's the P in tulip, the perseverance of the saints. Once you are born again, and you are joined by the spirit-wrought gift of faith to Christ, you will never be cut off from him. The, The union will never be lost. You can never sin away the grace of God, the mercy of Christ as a true believer. Never. You could swear to God, I don't know you, Jesus. And as a true believer, you can never sin Jesus away. That's the positive, encouraging truth. Now, we don't conclude, well, boy, I'm going to go sin it up. Um, it, it makes us humble. It makes us th- it thankful. We proclaim a gracious gospel, a gracious God. Now, today... We're looking at the counterpart of that truth, which is kind of the frightening part. Last week was really fun for me to preach the good, warm, loving, will never send Jesus away part. Today, as our brother led us, especially in what we read on page 867 on, on the last day, the separation of the, the sheep and the goats, the separation of the tares and the wheat, which is what we have here in our passage. We have Peter is retained and Judas is removed. There's the separation. The retaining of the true believer is, is wonderful. The removal of the false believer, the false professor, the hypocrite in the church, oh, it's a frightening thing. I've been a Christian. I'm 57. I've been a Christian since I was 26, a minister of 20 years. Early on in my Christian life, I would have loved to preach this passage. I would have hit you off the head with a hundred mile an hour fastball with this passage, and I would have loved it. I'm just more beat up as a believer. 
and maybe I know a little bit, I don't know. But this just makes me, um, it's true, it's here, I'm required to tell you because the Bible puts it here, Judas is cut off, Judas goes his own, to his own place. So I would not be a faithful minister if I just said, Peter is restored, Peter's retained, zip, let's moving right along. No, the Bible says that God puts this here for our instruction. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 14. Israel, their defection, their evil heart of unbelief is put in the Bible for us so that we, we would not have an evil heart of unbelief. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians, maybe the second epistle, test yourself to see if you're what? You're in the faith. Being in the church is not the same thing as being in Christ. Being baptized with water is not the same thing as being born again. Different things, related somewhat, but different things. The, 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 the Apostle Peter is in heaven. The Apostle Judas is in hell. Both men were formally attached to the Old Testament visible church. They were circumcised. I would argue both men were formally attached to the New Testament church. They were baptized. One was born again and one was not. Both church members, both ministers. One is in heaven, the other one is in hell. And so one has been retained because they're true believers. True believers never lose their saints, their, their salvation, perseverance of the saints. This is not a true believer losing their salvation. Judas never believed. This is in Hebrews 3 and 4. The evil heart of unbelief. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. I, I, don't, I don't want to leave here crushing the faith or disheartening the faith of any true believer. That's not my purpose. But I don't want to encourage any unbelievers thinking, I'm a member of the church. I'm going to heaven. So I don't want to discourage the saint. But I don't want to encourage the person who's not born again. I want us to find our salvation in Christ. Okay, that's what we're looking at. So we have the statement, essentially, that those who are vitally joined to Jesus will everly be joined to Jesus. Those who, and I'm using the phrase, formally attached. Those who are formally attached to Christ, by, either by profession, but not true profession, or by baptism, which not accompanied by true profession, formal attachment only, not vital, not real faith, they, they, will, they, will, be, um, they will be removed. So let's pick up where we, we left off. Last time we considered the preacher. We said that the preacher was the Apostle Peter. Let's look at his activity because he's going to be preaching on the removal of the Apostle uh, Judas. You remember, in the context of his preaching, why they're sitting in Jerusalem. I think the beginning of the chapter, verse 4, the risen Lord Jesus Christ tells them, guys, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and that he was going to appear to them and give them further instructions. And the further instruction by the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is he said that the third person of the divine Godhead, the Holy Trinity, would be poured out upon him. And here, just as a very brief aside regarding baptism, I do think the three modes of baptism are all legitimate. Immersion, Sprinkling. Peter talks about being sprinkled with the blood of Christ, sprinkled having a clean conscience. Uh, Hebrews 9.10 talks about baptisms, and they're all sprinkling, legitimate. I think also here we have a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
And the way that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit is technically by a pouring out of the Holy Spirit, not an immersion, again, not a sprinkling, but an effusion. So as Reformed Presbyterians, both in the Scotch-Irish and then in the Dutch-German side, we believe all three modes of baptism are legitimate because we see those expressions. That's just as an aside. So Jesus tells the guys, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. And the reason the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them as, as a New Testament church, the third person of the Godhead is going to enable the apostles and those who teach and preach the apostles' doctrine, meaning ordinary ministers and preachers and evangelists, they're going to take Christ to, to where? Think of the Great Commission. Where is the Great Commission in the Bible? Sword drill, sword drill, Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we're to go out where? Everywhere. We don't pre-qualify anyone. We don't look at someone and go, well, yeah, yeah, they probably look like they're going to be a Christian. So I'll talk to them. What person looks like they would receive Jesus and repent of their sins? Did Saul of Tarsus look like a prime candidate for Jesus? Did he look like that guy looks like he's going to be an apostle? No. What did he look like? A raving lunatic that was killing Christians and hated Jesus. And God converted him. God is in the saving sinners business. Bad sinners. People like us. Liars, fornicators, homosexual offenders, thieves, drunkards, blasphemers. God saves wretched sinners. We don't pre-qualify. The church is told to take Jesus Christ everywhere. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, black, white, red, rich, poor, free, slave, everybody. Well, you say, well, he's going to save the elect. Yes, but that's his business. Yes, that's his business. He doesn't give us the list. If I had the list, I'd only go to, to the people on the list. We don't have the list. He says to the people, primarily to the preachers, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will pour out upon you and I'm going to have you preach the gospel to all the nations. And we're taught a couple of things by that. Natural man cannot repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. They're dead, 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 dead. The Bible uses in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, the word necros. It means corpse. People before they're converted by God, the Holy Spirit, are necros. They're corpses. And so God tells his men, I want you to go out and preach to a bunch of, I think the plural would be necroi, a bunch of necrosses, a bunch of corpses. And I want you to say to a valley of dry and dead bones, in the name of Jesus Christ, live. Well, dead people can't believe in Jesus. They can if God the Holy Spirit regenerates them. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of what? Christ. You've been born again by the seed of the word. That's God's business. So there's the natural part of it. We are Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Gospel Seed. Go out and preach the law, preach the gospel. The law is a tutor. It shows us our need of Jesus. And the gospel shows us the, 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 the satisfaction of Jesus for our breach of the law. And the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the preacher. You, I know, I don't, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' view, which is my view. You can't teach people to preach. You, you, you can't. This is not preaching 101. You can't do a class. It's not natural. 
people can't ordinarily do. It's like a gift. This is the first Corinthians chapter 12. You either have been gifted by God to preach Christ's gospel or you, you have not. That's God's business. So God makes the preacher and then God makes the preaching of the word effectual. Is it a really, 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 really good preacher that's going to get people saved? So if we could just get like maybe the apostle Peter here, then everybody would receive Jesus. No, no. This is a supernatural business. I want you to wait there until the Holy Spirit pours out upon you. God takes broken sticks and he makes a straight line to Jesus Christ. I think it was Thomas Watson that said that. So God makes the preacher. God enables the preacher. God enables the preaching of the word to be effectual. Only God causes the growth. And so that's why they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And what do we find Peter doing? We find him engaged in the business of preaching. The word is keruzo in the Greek. It's preaching, preaching. This isn't like he's not having a fireside chat. I know nowadays, like the minister sits on a stool. He has like a thing in his ear and he just has a chat and you're just having a nice little whatever, a chat. Oh no, this is not a chat. (laughs) This is not a chat. When the prophets in the Old Testament come along or the apostles in the New Testament coming along, this, this is not a chat. I share my thing, you share your thing, we have a share, we go, we leave. No, this is not this. In the Old Testament, the, the man of God came saying what? Thus saith the Lord. In the New Testament, here comes the New Testament apostle and what is he saying? The wages of sin is death, but the free author of God is eternal life. Repent of your sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 17, he commands all men everywhere to preach. This is authoritative, and he's in the business of preaching. So God is telling us the the way that he builds up, the way that he brings people to Jesus individually, and the way that he builds up his church, and I know this is going to seem silly. It's going to seem like, Pastor, you're in a time warp. You know, are you sure you weren't born in the 1600s? I, I, I promise. It's through the preaching of the word. That's it. (laughs) The way the kingdom is built up, the way that people are born again, is through preaching. Take away the preaching of the word. You know what you have? You have a YMCA. You have a Tai Chi class. You have a coffee shop. That's all you have. Well, I got a ton of people here. We're all getting back rubs and doing Tai Chi and Christian yoga. Isn't this great? No, it's not great. People are not being convicted of their sins and they're not being brought to Jesus Christ savingly. You you have a social club. This isn't the church. They're not converted. The way that Jesus Christ converts sinners is through the foolishness of the preaching. And the preaching of what? The cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. He died for our sins. He rose for our justification. It's through the foolishness of the preaching. Nobody believes this nowadays. Certainly not the unbeliever, but most of the church doesn't believe this. But the Bible says it. The Bible says through the foolishness of preaching, we're born again through the ministry of the word. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Bible, Bible, Bible. Not funny stories, not other stuff. And when you replace the ministry of the word with other things, not only will you not be converted, you'll not be sanctified, which is the product of being converted. 
that flows out of our conversion, you won't be sanctified. You won't be progressively holy. Other things are not effective against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Read the book of Colossians chapter 2 towards the end. When we replace the word with, I don't know, unbelieving philosophy, unbelieving psychology, when we, when we do that, you know what the devil does? He laughs in your face. There's no power. For, as believers, I'm probably going to end up preaching this, as believers, we should repent of being worldly. As ministers, we should repent of being worldly and believe that the word of God has power. It's what the Holy Spirit will bless. So we see the man of God, is he's busy engaged in preaching. He's preaching both law and gospel. The content of the gospel is on the person and the work of Jesus. If you don't hear anything else in the sermon, the gospel is about Christ. Sometimes, and I, I, I don't feel very polemical, but sometimes you hear people say, we're going to live the gospel. You can't live the gospel. You, you can't live the gospel. Your favorite preacher may tell you that, He's probably well-meaning, but it's not a good statement. It's not correct. You cannot live the gospel. You can live worthy of the gospel, which you should. You can live to the glory of the gospel, which you should. But you can't live the gospel. The gospel is something that Jesus does, and it refers to his person and his work. So think good news about Christ. Nothing that we do is good news. So if you say, I am living the gospel, no, no. The gospel is God has come in the flesh. He's died for our sins and risen again. That's gospel. And we believe in him have eternal life. Gospel is not about you loving your wife, loving your kids, holding a nine to five, not being allergic to work. All of those things are true. You, you should do that as a response to the gospel. Does that make sense? So again, I know lots of people say that I'm going to live, I'm going to live the gospel or be the gospel or whatever they say. That, that it's, not, it's, it's not right. The gospel is about Christ. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the, to the Greek also. So the content is of, of, of the preaching, the content is about Jesus. Now in our passage, not only do we have the preacher being called to preach the gospel, but here's an aspect when he says, Judas, Peter stands up and says, I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm going to talk about Jesus, but I'm also going to talk about Judas. Judas is a sinner, and Judas has sinned. Now he's preaching on the law. This is where, I guess I am being polemical. Um, The modern church fails with flying colors in this. We, 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 to the extent that you're wrong on the gospel uh, on the law, many times you're wrong on the gospel. You have a watered down law, you'll have a watered down gospel. If you make the problem small, you'll make the solution small. If we're just kind of like a little punch drunk, we need a little therapy or maybe a little extra cash, walking around cash, th- th- then the gospel is necessarily small. Then it's your good time, buddy Jesus. But if we are m- morally depraved. If, if we are fallen in our sins and we're agents of the devil, if, if, we are, if we are children of wrath, even as the rest is Paul's, if that's the problem, if we're necros, if that's the problem, then, then we, need, we need God. We need God with us. We need someone to make us alive from death. 
we need someone to do it from, from A to Z. So he preaches gospel, but now he preaches the law. I'm OPC, obviously. I love everybody that loves the gospel. I really do. If you're a Methodist and you love Jesus, I love you because you love Jesus and Jesus loves you back. Episcopalian, Baptist, whatever you are. If you love the true gospel, you're my brother and sister in Jesus. We differ on other things, whatever. When we get to heaven, we're going to figure out, you know, the OPC was right. No, no, no. <laughs> whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm only being silly. I'm, I'm being silly. I, in, in, there are other Christians, I think, I know, for me, they can beat us in some, some things. I've prayed with some Pentecostal people, and I remember praying with one guy. I said, man, he prays like he means it. And that, that, that was convicting to me. Baptist brothers and sisters, man, they're telling everybody about Jesus. And we're, maybe it's better to talk about Jesus than Calvin. I don't know. So, I'm, I'm now, when we come here to this business of preaching, he's preaching the gospel, but now he introduces preaching the law. And as an OPC guy, one of the things that they say when you want to be an OPC minister, when they test you, is will you preach the law of God? Will you preach the law? The modern church doesn't preach the law. Now I would argue that that's why they're preaching such an anemic gospel. Jesus is just your good time buddy. Jesus is not just your good time buddy. He's a sin atoner. You have to talk about sin. You have to talk about sinners, Judas, sin. You have to talk about lawbreakers, which is what sin is. Because Jesus has come to answer the broken law. If you take away the capacity to speak about sin and sinners, let's just talk about the Red Sox. How about those Red Sox? Awesome. Yeah, Fenway Park, awesome. Because if you can't talk about sin, I can't talk about the sin bearer, the sin atoner. So he introduces... When, when we're looking at Judas thematically, this breaking off of a dried and dead branch, that's what he's talking about. Let's talk about sin and sinners. That's what he introduces. So if you go to a church, whether you're a member here, or if you're a member here, you, you're so sick of me talking about this, I'm sure. But if you go to other churches, and the minister, if he talks about sin, you know what you should do? Thank you, God. Thank God for the guy who has enough spine to talk against sin and to point people to Jesus. And if you go to a church and they never talk about sin or they just say this, peace, peace. Everything, no, there's no sin. It's a character defect. And let's, everything's copacetic. Peace, peace. What should you do? Oh God, get that guy out of the pulpit. Oh God, send a person that will talk about sin to drive me to Jesus. Without the talk about sin, there's no tutor to drive me to Jesus. So he introduces the business of sin. And now look at what he does. He says, well, in his sermon, I'm going to tell you about a faithless minister. Wait a minute. He names names. Judas is an unbeliever. Judas is a sinner. Judas is faithless. Judas has been cut off and has gone to his own place. It's Judas. What happens to us as modern, enlightened, loving, love muffin Christians when we hear, it's Judas in preaching, false preacher, that doesn't seem very nice to do that. Should you say, should you say Nestorius was preaching that Jesus really wasn't fully God and it would be legit to say Nestorius is a heretic. He's wrong. 
false Jesus, false gospel. It's Nestorius. It's Marcion. I forget who was it was. Was it Polycarp? When was Polycarp martyred? I forget. Late. Polycarp wouldn't even shake his hand, I don't think. Like, I, you're a tool of the devil. And this, well, Luther wouldn't shake anybody's hands. He was, a, he was a prickly pear. I love Luther. Everybody was a complete heretic, even people that we love. Damn, he didn't, he didn't like Zwingli and some other guys. But here we have the Bible. God has inspired Peter to say, the apostle Judah, Judas wasn't a believer. He's a false Christian and a false minister. And just let, let's, let's absorb that. It teaches us that, again, the church doesn't save, Jesus saves. The church doesn't save. Protestant churches don't save. The Church of My Youth, the Roman Catholic Church, does not save. The Pope doesn't save. Peter was not the first Pope. He doesn't save. If the church saved, then I guess, what's going on with Judas? So the church doesn't save. So we have an expression here of an unbeliever who is a church member, and we have here an expression of an unbeliever who's a minister. One of my favorite guys in the presbytery, he doesn't come anymore because he's so old. And uh, he's from Holland originally. He was a minister for a long time. I remember him preaching, saying he was converted after he was a minister of like 10 or 15 years in the pulpit. He's an unbeliever in the pulpit. And then one day while preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit applies it to him. He's an unconverted minister. He's an unconverted minister. And I, I guess, like, I, uh, by way of application of all of this, we're, we're supposed to say, well, if that member of the church who's been baptized, circumcised, is not a believer, am I a believer? If that minister who's baptized, he went through all the ordination process, people laid hands on him, he writes books, everybody calls him reverend, but God's not calling him reverend. What does God say to him? Depart. So this is for, the, for those of us in the pew and for those of us in the pulpit. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Am, do I truly love Christ? Am I born again? Do I have an evil heart of unbelief? Am I striving with holy violence to enter the kingdom of God? Or am, or, or, or am I like this? And what was Judas doing? This is classic. And the church in my youth, they would say the priests are busy sinning one way. And now as a Protestant, what do they say ministers are in it for? The money and the chicks. That's why. Money and the chicks. It's a sweet gig. You eat fried chicken and you play golf and then you get money and you can chase women around. But you don't go to heaven. You don't go to heaven. And Judas was in it for the money committed simony. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm going to be a minister. What a sweet gig. I can steal money on the side. What a sweet gig. But he's an unbeliever. And the apostle Peter is preaching against a a faithless minister. Again, this is not anti-Christian. It's not subscriptural, contra-scriptural. The apostle Paul does it all the time. He says, this guy, that guy, read the book of Jude. This guy, that guy. Beloved, this is meant both to warn the unbelieving congregant, the unbelieving minister, but it's also meant to warn the believer. 
that everybody that, that says reverend and they make the pulpit, we're not just supposed to open up our brains and our hearts and say, pour it all in. What happens if they're false and evil and unbelieving? And I would argue this. Why would God the Holy Spirit inspire Peter to say it's Judas? Publicly. Publicly. Why not just, maybe you can't privately go to him because he's gone. But why not just talk about it privately at the house? Why put it in the book? I'll tell you what I think. I can't be dogmatic here, but this comes from a principle of our confession. Public sin should be confessed and confronted publicly. Private sins should be confronted and confessed privately. Judas wasn't a, a private person. The Bible says not, not many people should be quick to be what? Teachers, preachers. Everybody and their house cat wants to be a minister. No, no, you shouldn't want to be a minister. Everybody in their house cat should not want to be a minister. Because the Bible says you're held to a stricter what? Judgment. He's not a private person. He's a public person. He sinned publicly and God says, I'm going to rebuke him publicly. It's Judas. This is a terrifying thing. And one of the principles that we learn when we're told, and Judas was going to be the guy to lead people to kill Christ, and it's Judas. There's a place in the scripture, you know where it is. It's it's the book of Numbers I want to say it's either 22 or 32. I forget which one. I kind of flip them around in my head. Be sure your sins will what? Go ahead. You can say it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. When we sin as Christians, which we do, what do we usually do? No one's going to catch me. God shouts it out in a bullhorn. I could stop a lot of sin right now in my life and your life if I told you and, and you believed it and I told me and I, and I believed it. Was it Matthew Henry? Sin for the professing believer is either pain and shame in this life and in the next, if we're true believers, no pain and shame, or pain and shame in this life and pain and shame in the next. If I told people I'm going to publish that sin that you think is secret publicly. What would happen? We wouldn't look at what we're looking at. We wouldn't say, am am I right with that? What's the biggest scourge in the church today among men? Internet porn. If I said to people watching internet porn, I took a screenshot of you watching that, and I'm going to put it up on the screen at church next week, guess what you'd be watching instead? Popular mechanics, magazines, heart of garden, stuff like that. Right? Here's a guy who's in it for the money. And God says he's in it for the money. And did he get to enjoy the money? Did he get to enjoy it? No, he never did. He never did. And this is, the Bible is teaching us something here about sin. We're preaching sin and sinners, sin and sinners in the church, sin and sinners in the pulpit. God says, I know what your sin is and I'm going to publish it. And he never got to enjoy the, 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 the fruit of the sin. Is there some, like, sometimes some pleasures associated with sin? I mean, gossip, 
you're bad, I'm good. There's fun in that. Ripping people down is kind of fun because it makes us feel so good. But when we sin, there's always some kind of little like sweetness to it. That's the devil's hook. He's hooking us with it. Did he get to use the 30 pieces of silver? No. Back to the immorality issue. We'll, just, we'll use that because it's an easy example. I'll talk to the married guys. I'll talk to married guys right now. If you're a married guy and you're going to get married, I'll talk to you guys. So this is how the devil does it. He trolls a girl by you, not your wife. He trolls her by you. And he says, oh, mm, it is going to be all sweetness. Mm, and you're like, uh, mm, and he gets you. And he sets the hook. Any sweetness in that? No. No. So no sweetness in all pain. And you say, wait a minute. I thought I was going to have the sweetness. And the devil says to you, what? Yeah, I lied. That's what I do. I'm a liar. And you know what we're fixing to have for dinner? Fish. You. This is here for our instruction. Thomas Watson, English Puritan, said this. When the devil comes trolling by and he's, he's popping that sweet temptation, he says something to the effect of, don't look at what the devil's promising you. Don't think what you're going to get. Think what you're going to lose. And what did Judas lose? For 30 pieces of silver. What did he do? 30 pieces was a month's wage. A month's wage. Boy, howdy. I get one whole month's wage. What did he lose? He lost his soul. He lost his soul. People turn their back on Jesus Christ for a woman, for a man, for a pile of money, for a little bit of fame, members of the church, preachers. And the Bible here says what? Someday, Jesus Christ is going to remove them. This is the unbeliever. This is the removal. And they were removed for the evil heart of unbelief. You'll know them by their fruits. They didn't produce good fruits. They produced evil fruits. Beloved, I, again, I, I, I pray that all of us would, as believers, that we would love Christ more, that we wouldn't be driven to despondency But I do pray that we would look at Judas, a false Christian, a false minister, who who succumbed to his temptation, who sought worldly pleasure rather than eternal life in Jesus Christ. I do pray that we would take him as a great object lesson for us to be serious with our faith, to be serious with Christ, to be serious about sin, and to be serious about The devil tempting us to sin. There's not a Christian here who's not been or being tempted by the devil right now. Right now. And he's promising you something that's a lie. But we're tempted to believe him. And at the end of his promise is not eternal life, but something much, much worse. Oh, beloved, test yourself. Make sure that you're in Jesus Christ. 
And when you're tempted, resist the devil. Draw close to Jesus. Draw close to the Father. Walk in that narrow road. And ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live Him for Him. Um, may God be pleased with the preaching of His Word.